Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hello everyone and welcome to the School for Mystics. Today, Marina and I will be talking with you about the goals and failures and productivity and efficiency. And Marina, you promised to kick us off with a story. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Misha. How are you today? (laughs) (laughs) Great as always. So, Hukulea, that's the name of the story? (laughs) The Hukulea, yeah. So I heard this story from uh, Christine Heath, who has a friend that worked for the Hokulea Society. And um, what this means is the society that investigates and researches the, the navigators, the explorers of the islands of the South Pacific, right? And how how they learned to explore the world and were able to reach so many faraway islands and populate them. And nobody could like wrap their minds around how they had done this. <clears throat> but apparently this, <laughs> this group of explorers and navigators, before they set out to sea, they would take all the time they could and they needed in order to have a vision of the place they were meant to reach. So both individually and as a group, they would wait for the vision and they would allow the vision to expand and grow and solidify and, you know, and only when the vision was strong enough would they set out to see. But you see, the Hokulea understood the world and life as round and in the present moment. So they would go out to sea, but the quest was not reaching the land they had to find. The idea was that they would stay on the same spot. So if you draw an axis from the center of the world outside, the idea was to stay on the exact same spot and allow the world to turn in the perfect way so that it would bring the vision to them. And so in a way they were just surfing the waves and the currents as they were coming and presenting themselves. They were just trying to stay put and they had absolute trust with the universe. So they had the vision and then the idea was surrender to the vision. Yeah, they had a vision and the idea was understanding how the vision would work in combination with life. Mm-hmm. What, Marina, do you think, what motivates people to have this you know, vision in the first place? Why they are seekers? Like, why the people want that in the first place? Why not just to relax, you know, like drink, 
enjoy life, why would they do that to themselves in the first place? Well, we are explorers by nature, Misha. We thrive in exploration. You know, look at babies. The first thing they do is they start exploring. You know, they're looking at their hands, turning them around. They're looking at their feet. They're looking around for things to grab and experience. We are so thirsty for experience. And as long as we keep exploring, there is a sense in us that we are here and alive. Remember our conversation about Maya, the great illusion. And um, one statement that, that uh, I think you or I mentioned, I didn't remember exactly, was that everything we do in life is because we want to feel better. And all the goals we uh, set for ourselves is because we want to feel better. And when someone understands that we are in this big illusion, that there is nothing out there that will make you feel better because this is available to you right now, immediately. It's not that you will get a new car and you will suddenly feel very comfortable or very happy or very confident. It's vice versa. You become confident and you get whatever you want. That, assumingly, will make you confident in the first place. But it is vice versa. You become Y to get X, not that you get X to become Y. And very popular question that uh, my clients ask is, well, but if we can feel good right now, if we can feel happy right now, why would we do anything in the world? We would just lay you know, on the bed and do nothing. And that's the part that you mentioned. This is our nature to explore. Our nature is expanding. We are seekers by nature, right? You see, it's the other way around. We do not seek in order to feel better. Exactly. The second we feel better, we are drawn to exploring. We are drawn to just experience itself. So in a very literal way, what moves us in life is not to feel better. We are not looking to feel better. But when we understand that we are perfect and okay, what we naturally do is explore. So we are seeking experience, not positive experience. We are seeking experience by nature. And then we twist it around in our heads so that we want to look for positive experiences, but it's not true. Yeah. In fact, you know, most people, if, if you have a conversation about them, even about their worst moments and, you know, getting really honest and down to earth, you ask them whether they would have chosen not to have that experience at all they would actually even choose to have it. You know, people who have lost children or who have um, left their country behind. You know, if you ask them, would you have rather not have had a son, not have had a child, or not 
have had a place to leave behind. You see, it's not about changing the experience. It's about whether we have it or we don't. And that's where the real game is taking place. Do you know this bumper sticker phrase? It's not the destination, it is the journey. Or, you know, you remember Steve Jobs. The journey is reward, right? What do you think of it? Well, I think it's a two-sided coin, as every coin, right? On one side, I think the the vision. Now, I am I'm going to use the terms of the Hokulea. The vision is what informs the next step. Yes. So if you have a direction, you know in which direction you're moving, and then the territory presents itself as it goes. But the direction is what sets, what informs the next step. Now, on the other hand, I absolutely agree with the fact that it is not the destination. It is the journey. I don't know if you're familiar with that poem by Cavafis. Constantine Cavafis, um, Greek poet. And Ithaca is the poem that, for me, illustrates completely what we are talking about. So, yes, what Cavafis says, go read it because it's a beautiful poem. But what Cavafis says is, keep Ithaca in mind. That is the excuse for the journey. But Ithaca will be fed by everything you encounter in the journey. And once you reach Ithaca, Ithaca will be empty. Ithaca will have given you the journey. That was the whole point of Ithaca, not Ithaca itself. Yeah, for, for listeners, Ithaca is the island, I think, in, um, in Greece. Uh, I think it's the motherland of Odysseus. You know what I was thinking? This hallelujah, guys. <laughs> guys. They could just go and explore. Why would they need a vision in the first place? Why would not just, just go and, and find whatever they find and enjoy whatever they find? Because the, the journey is reward. So why do they need direction in the first place? Well, again, we are moved towards something. And again, if you look at babies, you know, when, when they want to stand up, when they want to start walking, it's because they are seeing people stand up. They are seeing people walking and they want to imitate that. And when, as soon as they start walking or even when they're starting, they start crawling, you know, there is somewhere to get. But again, that is the excuse for the experience. So we seem to be moved by things, by stuff, right? So in, in a way, yes, the journey and the experience is what will nourish us, but it is all disguised 
as a vision, as a goal, as a way. Now, at a deeper level, the question you are asking, Misha, is, <laughs> this is a very deep question. What is wisdom up to? What is it guiding us towards? Why does it place these desires in us and moves us towards them? That is an unanswerable question. What is wisdom up to in the world, in the universe, in life? But my, <laughs> my best version of what that is, is the universe just wants to know itself and experience its possibilities. And that is why we move. Absolutely agree. It's the only way. It's interesting, like I have never heard you say that, but I have exactly the same point of view. For the universe, it is the only way to experience itself. Yeah. So in a way, in a very literal way, each and every one of us is the point in which the universe meets the universe. And that is an amazing thing to become aware of. Because if you're one and the universe is one, if you don't have the points of relevance, there is no way you can experience yourself. Exactly. Coming back to this goal setting and this idea of the vision, you know, I was a few years ago, um, I was writing this, this book, it's called Efficiency Journal. And I was playing with a few ideas. One idea was about the desired and undesired goal. So the desired goal is the vision that will bring you not only the um, you know ecstasy once you reach it, but also joy along the way, happiness along the way. That's the desired goal. And a good example of it would be, for example, I'm uh, building my company and I, you know, one day I, I will build this like huge company, but at the same time, I enjoy the process so much that even if I don't build the company, I'm still incredibly happy. And then the undesired goal, for instance, might be the idea of, you know, getting fit or losing weight. For example, I'm yet to see people who love starving themselves. <laughs> you know, some of them, they actually do. But, you know, the, um, the interesting part is that people want to get fit even though they hate starving themselves, even though they hate going to gym. And then as you progress along the journey, once you understand the difference between desired and undesired goal, you tend to set the goals for yourselves that you truly love, that you will enjoy the process as much as you will enjoy the achievement. So that's the first part. The second part, 
this story again I was playing with is the story of the difference between action, passive action, and massive action. In order to get to result, in order to even to surrender to the vision, the action is still required. And I see there are three types of actions people are taking. The passive action will be the preparation. For example, I want to learn how to market ourselves. That's why I go and I buy a course on how to market yourself. Or if I want to sail somewhere, I, you know, I, um, I go and I, I, I find the person who will become the captain of the ship because obviously I'm not the captain and uh, I will assemble the crew and I will do all these things to prepare ourselves for the action, for the real action. So that's the passive action. Then the action is what we generally see as regular feedback loop. The action will look like that. Let's say I want to lose some weight. And um, so I go and I invest in passive action. So I learn how to do that. Maybe I will discover keto diets or uh, I, I go and uh, I learn about intermittent fasting and maybe I will find someone who will help me lose the weight. Then I'll start doing that. I will start following the algorithm. And if it doesn't work, I will try to change the algorithm. And if the next algorithm doesn't work again, probably I will just drop it. Like, eh, too bad, doesn't work. And that's generally the way how, you know, majority of people, how they act. They try one thing, it doesn't work. They try another, it doesn't work again, and they drop it. And they make a check mark against the line with a failure. Like, I, I have failed. That's their understanding. And then the third level would be the massive action. The massive action is the idea, I think first time I heard about it was from Brooke Castillo. She's, she's, she's a prominent coach, I know. And the, the idea of massive action is that failure is just your data. There is no failure. You only collect data. And the vision will manifest no matter what, as long as you surrender enough times. So failure is something you surrender to. You get the data. You bring another hypothesis, your wisdom brings you to another hypothesis, you test another, another hypothesis, and you do that as many times as required. If you need to do that for your whole life, you know, like Einstein was trying to come up with a theory of everything. He never done it, but he spent his whole life trying to do that. And the journey itself was his reward. The path was the reward. So just to sum up, Desirable and undesirable goals, passive action versus action versus massive action. What do you think of these stories? Yeah. 
Well, here's, here's how I see it. So a lot of the time we set up a goal and then we want to reverse engineer the whole thing. Like in order to get there, where are the steps back to where I am? And that formula, if you want to see it that way, that formula does not take into account wisdom in the moment. It does not take into account the territory and how it changes. That is, if we were to use a metaphor, that would be, you know, painting the journey on a map. But at some point you need to get to the territory. And once you get to the territory, you must somehow keep in mind the destination, but forget about the map. Because what you will find in the territory is completely, always unexpected. That is one thing. Another part of it is, yeah, we try stuff, it doesn't work, we drop it. But here, you need to understand something. The reason why we drop it is our thinking. Like, we make up that it's never going to work. So, going back to children, every child that learns how to walk tries and fails around 500 times. Adults, on the other hand, try an average of three times before dropping something and giving up. So, in a way, we learn to give up. But it is not necessarily part of our nature, the giving up. Like we would keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And in that keep trying, it's not necessarily try the same thing again. But it is, uh, it is a whole process in which you understand what is needed and you see what makes sense to you in the moment and how you bring those two together. I can hear the uh, the noise on, on on the background, Marina, and I think this is your gardener who is uh, riding motorcycle. <laughs> this is the gardener next door. This is not my gardener. This is the gardener next door, but apparently, he he would be willing to stop, but my neighbors are not allowing him to stop. So <laughs> That's okay. Asking him to keep going. Yeah, this is good. We we still can hear you well, so no no problem on that. You know, that's interesting point on the map and the territory. And um, what came fresh out of, you know, of, of that is that it's still our thought. And failure is a thought. I have failed. It is just a meaning you assign to the sequence of events. In the first place, you don't even know whether these events are really connected to each other. And so I have this, you know, quick story about my, my, my childhood. I, I was born in the athletic family and uh, my, my mom, she's the um, coach of champions. Um, she's the um, uh, main trainer of Olympic team in synchronized women. So in, in my family, not to be an athlete, was it actually meant that there is something wrong with you. 
you know, like my brother, he's an athlete. My mom, she's a professional athlete herself. And of course, she wanted her, uh, you know, son, me, to, to go to swimming as well and to go to other sports. Now, I was swimming still. I remember myself probably from two years old. I was already in the swimming pool and I was swimming and um, I was progressing quite nicely. But then there was the the event. Um, I had to swim in the sea for, I think, one mile. It was kind of like contest, you know, in, in, in the uh, sports camp. And... Um, half the way probably yeah maybe a bit less than half the, half, half a mile i actually uh passed out uh, i was a little kid i was eight or nine years old and the reason i passed out was because i uh, hated eating you know in that canteen in the sports camp so i did not eat probably for two weeks before the uh, the contest and also it seems um, you know sun affected me but what happens I of course they they taken me out of the water everything was fine like um, no consequence but my brother told me and he was not a mature person at the time he was still a kid he said oh you're just weak you know and he made it like a joke like, don't worry, you passed out. We all knew that you're just weak. Like, I'm the stronger here. Or I'm the strongest in this family. So, and then a year after, I was playing soccer. And um, high sun affected the same way. I passed out again. And then he told me, my brother, he told me, oh, you know, now it's me and, and, and our father who thinks that you're just weak. And I connected these two events and I made up this story in my mind that I'm actually not an athlete. I don't have the certain build. My body is not athletic enough to, you know, to be in the sport. So then I had to double down on study, you know, studying like, at least I'm going to be smart, you know? So that was kind of the idea. But, but thinking back, how I have connected these two unrelated events and made a story about myself, shifted the trajectory of my life. Now, I don't know whether it's for good or for bad. It is just the fact that this is what has happened. And for many years, I thought about myself as a failure in professional sport. Now, I have never failed, in fact. I was progressing. You know, like I was doing in eight years old what the competitor could do just only like in 10 or 11 years old. I was progressing, but I made up this story. It has shifted the trajectory. Now, how many people who have failed a few times in entrepreneurship. And they made up this story. I'm just not, an, like, I'm not made for that. I'm not an entrepreneur. Or how many people are not looking for a partner anymore because they, have, they think they have failed in a relationship before. I'm a bad mother. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad athlete. I'm not an entrepreneur. 
It's just a thought. Unbelievable. But can you see, Misha, can you see how all that is a made-up story that covers our innate health for experience? Like, our drive for experience is amoral. It doesn't have sentiment. It doesn't judge the experience per se as good or bad. It just asks us to experience. That's it. That's what life is asking of us. And then we make up a story about the kind of experience that we want and in what terms we want it and in the period of time that we want it and the results that we want from it. And, and that sense to help the whole joy of just experiencing right so yes of course we make up the story on a made-up game with made-up rules that are completely and utterly arbitrary and do not mean a thing about what we truly deeply are which is pure consciousness yeah. So by all means, have goals if that works for you. But don't update them. Don't make needs out of them. You know, do not miss the collateral beauty of experience. There is no bad experience if we can actually get to that deep core that actually just is about experiencing and we can suck from it, suck the juice out of it. You see, the only thing that life asks of us, asks of us experience, we cannot subtract ourselves from it. The design of life is so perfect that what it needs of us, we cannot sign out of. You see, asleep, awake, sad, angry, happy, joyful, ecstatic, furious, you are always, always experiencing. Which points to the fact that you are experience itself. You are awareness itself. You want to make up goals? Go for it. Play with them. But don't take them too seriously. Hold them lightly. It's about the exploration, per se, not about what we explore. So tell me then, how to fail properly? <laughs> how to fail properly? <laughs> well, if failure is a made-up thing and proper is a made-up thing, anything you want can, be, can constitute a proper failure. But failure per se would be, you know, failing at the goal you made up in the terms you made up. So fail properly, yes, fail at the game, but harvest everything that the experience brought with it. Become aware of everything that the experience brought with it. And that awareness is a game changer. 
because that awareness is what deepens our understanding of the true relationship we have with experience. You know, from time to time, uh, my mom, she asks me to, to work with one of her athletes. Um, they postponed the Olympics, but before we knew that the Olympics was postponed, she would ask me to work with this or that person. And one of the ideas I believe in with all my heart is the idea of the winner mindset. And like you can use this idea for artist or for author, for any creative human being who has devoted herself to something. The idea is very simple. All athletes and all artists, they have only one Achilles heel. And this Achilles heel is their desire to be validated through their result. In simple words, they want other people to love their art. They want other people to tell them they are great. But the moment the champion starts relying on validation, he has lost the game. So the true mastery comes through creation without expectation. When you create without any clinging to the result, without any hope that your result will be validated from other people. The, you, you see, the, the, like I, I was talking to this client and, and, and she's, like, she's probably triple world champion in, 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 in her craft and uh, in her sport. And she basically said that she wants her mom to tell her she's great. The problem here, even her mom is, you know, probably her mom loves her and adores her daughter. The problem is that her mom is not an expert to validate whether her daughter is a master or not. That's the problem. That's the problem with validation. Because if someone could really evaluate your mastery, they would become masters themselves. So you are the only person who can say whether you are better or worse comparing to yesterday. And it's not about the result. It's about the process. It's about your everyday journey. Well, that is the, that is the only question, really. Am I lovable? Am I worthy of love? That is the one thing behind everything we try to accomplish, gain, build. But when you understand that the value does not come from the accomplishment, but is previous to it, you know, when value and worth are your starting point, 
then your art becomes the expression of the game, the building, the whatever. The expression of it, not the validation through it. And there is an implicit joy in being an expression of that worth and that value through whichever brings us joy. Now, you are pointing out the fact that you are the only one who can actually tell whether you're ahead or behind in the game in comparison to yesterday and in relation to a made-up goal, right? Is it a valid game? Of course it's a valid game. Go play it. But do not place your value or your worth in it. Because like you say, the game is lost if you're looking to validate yourself through it. But also the joy is lost and the possibility of expression is lost. And then you end up caught up in all this useless accomplishing that leaves you feeling, as they say, more empty than you previously were. Because you see, Misha, being and getting are of different natures. And you can never, will never get what you are. You can't. It's just a different game. It's, a, it's of a different nature. You can express what you are, but you can never get it. Not from anyone and not from anything. And that is what we are all looking for. That deep sense of being. Yeah. You know, when these hallelujah people. <laughs> <laughs> so, when these hallelujah people, when they have this vision and they go find it, in reality, they want to find themselves. Yeah. But you see, they are willing to be found by that vision. So they are willing to be found is, is actually a different sense because then it's having the realization, not building a construct around what I am. It is not finding what I am because I was never lost. It is uh, opening myself up to having this realization, which changes again the perspective of the game. It is not from here to there, it is from the inside out. You remember Esther Hicks and, and Abraham Hicks and, and the, their, their law of attraction and I remember their idea of you send to the universe what you want, then you just allow 
that to come to you. And you just believe it's already done. It's, it, it has already manifested, whatever you want. And all their teaching is about just three steps. You say what you want. You immediately get it in your head, in your soul. You allow that to come to you. And number three, you just wait you know, for that to come. And this is it. And this is pretty much exactly what you just, you know, ex- explained in, 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 in different words. But that's, it sounds like the same idea. Well, yeah. If you, if you have a sense of oneness, of course everything is already manifested. The second you think of it, it is already manifested. It's previous to your thinking about it. But if you are wanting it from a place of lack, from a belief that it does not exist, it is not available to you, then that manifestation itself becomes real. You see? So it's from the understanding that everything is already given. It's just that I am not seeing it and I am asking to see it. And because I am manifesting that desire, it must come to be. So, shifting gears here, do you set goals for yourself, Marina? Yes, I do. Sometimes. (laughs) Can can you share some? And I I fail miserably at them. constantly like i will swim for 50 straight minutes today or you know i will not i will buy the cake for my kids but i will not eat Eat it (laughs) (laughs) yeah things like that i think more than i mean yes practical things like that yes of course of course I do, and I and I play with them, and I and I give myself a really hard time sometimes. But when I see it, then I I, I kind of laugh about it. <laughs> I am an endless endless source of laughter for myself and, and my kids. But in my in my true path, if you want to see it that way. Very much like the Hokulea, I just, I just ask to be shown. Because I know the process is complete. There is a knowing in me that the process is complete and it's all just a remembering. And so I ask to remember. and, And my favorite prayer by Sister Martina, Vidarker says, it's a very simple prayer, but, but it's incredibly deep in meaning. And the only thing it says is, dear God, please show me the truth about myself, no matter how beautiful it is. We are terrified of seeing just how powerful we are, of seeing just how beautiful we are of finding out the truth about ourselves. 
And we are terrified because we think we will disappear in its magnificence. And in a way we will. But we will become ourselves. And so it is an asking to be shown, a manifesting, a desire to see. And that is enough. That has been my prayer for many years. Beautiful. All I all I ask is just to show me the truth. Yeah, for many, many, many centuries, only the bravest asked for that. <laughs> or the dumbest. Or the dumbest. It depends on how you look at it. <laughs> but it is our ultimate desire. It is our ultimate desire. And, and that is what the universe and wisdom are up to. You see, we are in the game of remembering. We are in the game of realizing, of experiencing, of knowing ourselves. You know, I want to, to finish this conversation with idea I want everyone who is listening to us to consider. And the idea is very simple. Try to seek truth, not validation. There is a wonderful quote by Rumi, the mystic, that says, do not look for water, look for thirst. The perfect thirst. The beautiful truth. The beautiful thirst. Thank you, Marina. Thank you, Misha. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.